Um, well, we've been going through this, uh, the book of Colossians, uh, this series, really, uh, of taking a closer look at this letter that's written from a church leader, Paul, uh, to a church that was not planted by him, but was actually planted as a result of him uh, going to another place. He went to a place called Ephesus, uh, there in the Middle East, kind of around where Turkey is. And, and as he was there and, and preaching the gospel and making disciples, what happened was those, some of those people left from that place and went out and started new churches in, in, in new places. And so we read this letter kind of understanding a little bit about that. I mean, that's kind of why we're here. Uh, there's a, you know, this church in St. Louis, and then, and then we become Jubilee part of St. Louis Church as well. And so it's like this big city is having an effect on the region around it. And so as Jubilee Church exists, one of the reasons we, we see this is that we want to be a church that is actually not just you know, reaching a small community around us, but actually we want to be a church that's reaching a region around us, planting new churches, new locations, and so on. And so it's a real challenging uh, thing for us to look at, to, when we look at this letter, to realize we, we're going to be an outpost of heaven wherever we are, but we want to have a church that not just affects that specific area, but we want to have a church that affects really a whole region. And really throughout the world. Now, it's, it's a nice thing to have a dream like that, to have a, you know, this kind of all-consuming vision, you know. But the, the hard part of it is actually coming down to the practicalities of what does that look like when, when, when you want to make that happen. Um, it's one thing to dream. It's another thing to plan and to be strategic about it, to, to structure the way the entire church actually functions together so that we can reach an entire region and an entire state and an entire world around us. It's because of this God-given re- uh, vision that he's given to us and this, this idea of trying to put hands and feet to that, trying to make that happen. It's one of the reasons why we have in every aspect of ministry that we do here uh, at Jubilee, we have this idea to want to make disciples, to want to help people to actually be apprenticing. Uh, that means to draw closer to Jesus and learn how to serve him uh, uh, in different ways. And so whether you're at the greeting table at the front or you're uh, working in J-Kids or, or community group, whatever it is, we want to see people and we, ha- or we are seeing people actually taking on a role not just of doing that ministry, but actually of, of coming alongside and learning how to do it. We've used this illustration before. It's like there's a couple of different ho- kinds of hospitals, right? I mean, if you go down here to you know, St. Jo- uh, John's, to Mercy, it hadn't been St. John's in a long time, has it? You go to Mercy Hospital, uh, you're going to be served well by professionals, but if you go to Wash U, what's going to happen? You're going to go there, and yeah, there's going to be professionals around, but actually <clears throat> there's going to be students as well. I came prepared this week. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> you're going to have students. You're going to have apprentices who are actually going to put hands on you and try to diagnose exactly where you are. Well, that's the kind of church we want to be, not just a church where people are being served by professional, but actually where we're serving one another, that we're learning how to apprentice, to be disciples of Jesus who actually serve one another. And when we're able to do that, that means uh, for us that we can expand. It means we can have uh, more and more uh, community groups, for example. So when you start to like, say, I'm, I'm going to host a community group in my home, 
Well, you're taking, uh, and we're together taking a small step in growing that vision. If you say, I want to be an apprentice for a community group, then, hey, you're, you're helping us. We're taking a step toward that vision. If you say, I want to serve, you know, in J-Kids or at Greeting or, or uh, putting bagels and coffee out uh, in the hospitality agent, you are helping us to take steps toward the vision that we have to actually see more and more uh, churches planted, more and more people affected with the gospel here in the St. Louis region, whether that's here here in Washington or at the lake or up in St. Louis or into Illinois or whatever, we have a big, big vision there. And the way that gets done is making the connections here is just through small acts of saying, okay, I want to grow. I want to grow further into what God has for me today. And so this letter that we've been reading about and reading from today, actually we begin to see that there's a, a, a bit of a turning point here. This Colossae church, again, it was planted out and there was a, an effect there into a whole region. And we see here, as Paul's been writing a bit, that he's making this transition in, uh, from chapter 2 to chapter 3. And he does this often when, when he writes, uh, Paul does. When he writes things, he'll, he'll make tr- transitions. So like in Ephesians, when he writes a letter to them, to that church there, he spends about the first three chapters just expounding bigger and bigger who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the secure uh, relationship we can have with God because of what Jesus has done for us. He does that for three chapters. Then in chapter 4, he begins to change his tone a bit, not because he's changing his message, but he's saying, look, in light of what I've just told you about Jesus, this is the effect that it has on your life. He does it again in the book of Romans. If you read the book of Romans, you'll see 11 chapters of Paul saying, here's Jesus, here's what he's done for you, here's the amazing grace and mercies that he's shown you. And then he says, now in light of all of that, this is how you live. And so now we've come into this place in Colossae, when, in this letter to the Colossians, where he's done pretty much the same thing. For two chapters, he's just been blasting out, here's who Jesus is, creator of the world. He was there at creation. He's the savior of the world. He's the one who has come and rescued us from our darkness, from our sin, from our brokenness. He's the reconciler. He's canceled the debt of our sin against God. And this is who Jesus is. Now, how do we respond to that? What is that we do in response to this great news of what Jesus has done for us? And so he uses this phrase, if you have been raised with Christ, if you have been. So who is it that Paul's writing to? Is he just writing kind of this general moral letter to just whoever kind of comes across it? No, he's not. He's writing specifically to Christians, to people who would say, my life is, is with Christ. I have accepted, I've received Jesus. He's my Lord, He's my Master, He's my Savior. That's the person he's writing to. Now, it's, it's important to get a hold of that, because if you don't get a hold of that, there can be a lot of confusion. You can begin to read this section and the following sections and begin to think, okay, these are basically just like moral lessons that everybody, if they would do these, we would kind of live in a better world, and, and maybe we would you know, be able to please God in some way. But that would, be putting, uh, that would be doing it very wrongly. That would be not taking what Paul has said seriously in the first two chapters and then just kind of saying, well, we'll just kind of take some moral lessons out of this. Paul wants to make sure that we're connecting well, and I want to make sure that we're connecting well to what Jesus has done for us before we start getting into how do we live our lives then in light of that, okay? 
uh, a while back, about three years ago, uh, my family, we moved here from uh, Fort Scott, Kansas to Washington, Missouri. Some of you were integral parts of that. Thank you again for helping us get here. But one of the times when I was hooking up to a trailer, I hooked up and I thought everything was good to go. And I started driving and I hit a bump. And guess what? The trailer hitch went bonk. You know, it just hit the ground. And it's like, dang, something's wrong here. It came disconnected, you know. I, I probably used a different word, but that's what I was meaning. Uh, that's my cleaned up Christian version. And so it, it, it went down, and then it's like I had to stop. Now, I'm grateful that it didn't happen while I was doing 70 down I-44, okay? It was just in a you know, parking area, and I hit a bump, and it bounced off. Well, when that happens, you can't, you can't really get anywhere, right? You can't just drag the trailer around by the chains that are hooked onto it or whatever. You, you've got to get reattached. You've got to get rehooked. And I don't really want us to go too far into this message or into these messages that are coming ahead unless you understand this connection, unless you're hitched up to this understanding that your life is bound up in Christ first. And because of what He has done for you, now, because of that, I will respond to the grace and the mercy that God has shown to me. So don't come disconnected. Make sure you're hooked into this before we move on. Otherwise, they just become moralistic lessons that we kind of feel like, well, I hope that I can please God. I hope that He will love me more because, no, He can't love you more. He he loved you so much, He gave His one and only Son. He can't love you any more than that. If, If the one who would not spare His own Son, I mean, won't He give you every good thing? Man, I just, you got to know that about Him, okay? So, If you've been raised with Christ, then comes the to-dos. Then comes the things that we have to kind of get our heads around. Okay, so the impact of this message of the gospel. Now, how do I live in light of that? We have to recalibrate our minds. Recalibrate our minds to this. Remember, uh, I remember Terry Virgo one time started kind of helping me to understand, calibrate your minds. He's a preacher and teacher. He'll be at uh, Celebration Midwest coming up in a few weeks. And um, he said, becoming a Christian is like this. You, you've come into a whole new country. So it would be like today you get on an airplane and you fly over to England, right? And you get there and then uh, you ask someone, hey, what's the time? And they tell you, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you look at your watch and you go, no, 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 it's only 10 in the morning. What are you talking about? And they go, no, no. And you start asking other people and they go, no, it's 3 in the afternoon. You go, no, it's 10. And my watch clearly says it's 10 o'clock. Well, what you fail to take into account, you, it may be 10 o'clock back here in Missouri, But in England, where you are now, it's three. Guess what you have to do? You can either try to convince everybody to change their clock to yours, which is not going to happen, or you need to realize, oh, I'm in a whole new country here. I've got to recalibrate the way that I'm thinking about time. It means I've got to change my sleep habits. I've got to change where I'm eating and when I'm eating and all those kinds of things. This message of the gospel, when we receive what Christ has done for us, we have to recalibrate our thinking. We have come into a whole new realm we've come into a whole new world and we have to recalibrate our minds and so the scripture here verse one says hey because of that keep seeking the things above where christ is keep thinking keep seeking where christ is the reason why we seek these things above is because well actually that's where christ is sarah's word this morning as she came and shared that earlier today helps us because it's like we can get this mindset that hey we're just running the race It's good for us to run the race. And we see Jesus, and it's like, okay, I'm glad to see that, and I'll just keep running the race. And it's like, no, no, no. The reason why we're in the race in the first place is because of the cross. All right? The reason why we're running in the first place is because of what Jesus has done for us. So these two chapters of 
preaching out the wonderful grace of Jesus, of telling us all about who He is and what He has done for us and how our sins are no longer nailed to us, but they've been nailed to the cross. And now I can stand before God, not as a debtor, but having received the full riches of Christ in me. Because of those things, I want to set my attention, set my focus on Jesus. That's what Paul does. When we read this letter, we realize this guy is totally just enamored, enthralled with who Jesus is. And that's where his life actually comes from. That's where our lives actually come from. Paul just keeps nailing this away. Christ is our life. I mean, he's there in creation. He's there throughout history. The whole of history hinges on who Jesus is. And so he says this. He says, look, set your mind on Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I lose things occasionally. Uh, Annette will tell you this, uh, that often I lose things that are in plain sight, uh, that she knows exactly where they are. And so it's happened to me more than once. I'm like, hey, uh, hon, where's my, where's my shirt? Um, where, where's my super suit? You know, whatever. I mean, I just, <laughs> something to try to, I have some things that I run in, and so that's my super suit. I'm like, it isn't, I need my super suit. And so where is it? And so she'll say, okay, you know, uh, now I've been like next to the dresser. And she goes, okay, now turn to your right. And so I'll turn. Okay, turn again, turn again, turn again. Now look straight down. Oh, hey, looky there. There's, there it is. <laughs> you, you had to put it there. No, she's in the other room. I mean, she knows exactly where it is. I get lost. I, get, I lose things quite easily. Now, the, the, the reality is we do this with Jesus. It's like, where does my life come from? Where, where do I get all of the love and the joy and acceptance that I need from, from life? Well, actually, Paul points us right back and says, turn around, turn around, turn around. Okay, now, Jesus, this is where you find your life. But we don't. We pursue other things. We can pursue religious activities. We can pursue coming to church on Sundays. We can pursue reading our Bibles in the morning. We can pursue truth. We can pursue all kinds of things, actually looking for something that actually is right there for us already. It's found in Jesus. We can serve our neighbors with real abandon. We can seek for justice. We can, uh, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank, and actually we miss Jesus. We miss what He has done for us. If we don't have Jesus as the center, then really what's the point of all these other things? John Piper puts it this way. I find this compelling and intriguing at the same time. John Piper writes, he says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring everything else and seeking and savoring everything else above God. And people who would be happy with heaven, even if Christ were not there, will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way uh, of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy that's found in God. If we don't want God above everything else, then we haven't truly been converted by the gospel. What is it in life that you look at and you think, I treasure, I value this more than Christ? That's Jesus came so that you would value and treasure him above everything else. Everything else. So, how do we do this? How do we treasure Christ? Notice here Paul says in a verse uh, that since we have been raised, or if we have been raised with Christ, this is a past tense thing. Then in verse 3 he says, uh, since you have died with Christ. In order to do what 
Paul is saying here, you have to already know that you have died with Christ and you have been raised with Christ. Now, I realize some of you are sitting here going, I'm not dead, I'm alive, what are you talking about? A little confused, you're giving me a headache, Steve, what are you doing here? Um, But you've died in the past tense and you've been raised in the past tense. What's this referring to? Man, this is referring to really the greatest truth ever. It's the whole purpose, the whole reason of the gospel that we come to. The essence of Christianity is not obedience to Jesus. The essence of Christianity is not, you know, trying to uh, work something out with God, to obey Him, to love Him more. But rather, it's to realize that we are in Christ. You are in Him. The heart of Christianity is that what is true of Christ is also legally true about you. You are in right standing with God because you are in Christ. You're not viewed based on your performance by God. He doesn't look at you and say, oh man, what a loser. He looks at you and sees Christ and he is satisfied. He is thrilled with you. You have died with Christ, which, which means we're free from guilt. Well, why am I free from guilt? Because, well, actually at the cross, because I received Christ as my Savior, when he died, I died. When he rose... I rose. Therefore, the guilt of my sin is no longer attached to me. It's been nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord for that. The essence of sin really is this. To understand sin a little bit better is that it's substitution. What I do in my sin is I substitute myself for God. I think, hey, I'm a great uh, leader. I can lead myself into the places that I want to go. I can direct my life. Well, we substitute ourselves for God. He's the one. The thing that, that God, only God deserves, that's what we try to be and do. So we, we realize that we're, we're really not qualified to lead and direct our lives. God is. We've substituted ourselves for them. So the essence of sin is to substitute yourself where only God deserves to be. Do you deserve to be on the throne of the universe or does God? No, God does. You don't. What about the throne of your own life? No, God does. You don't. You're substituting yourself where only God deserves to be. But the essence of salvation is another kind of substitution. It's God substituting himself for really where only you and I deserve to be. You and I deserve the cross. You and I deserve punishment for sins. But God, in the person of Jesus, came and he actually took that sin for us. He substituted himself for you and for me. He took the death I deserve. He took the penalty that I deserve. So now, if you've been raised with Christ, well, that's a great place to be. You're at God's, the Father's right hand. That means you are in a place where actually there's acceptance, there's love, there's listening, there's hearing that God loves you, that He's with you. You have the ear of the King. And He says to things like this, Hey, ask and it will be given to you. Why? Because you're not asking for yourself. You're asking because you now are in this great relationship with the king himself. So Paul says, hey, set your mind on the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Guess what? That's where you are. That's where I am. That's an amazing thing. In Christ's substitution for me, I get to be where he is as well. Because we set our mind there, Paul's going to say, hey, Jesus, is, he, he is your life. He really is your life. When Christ appears, we shall see and we'll be like him because, well, he's our life. 
So verse 4, it says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. That's an amazing, amazing verse. It really helps us to know that we are in Christ. We're, our whole life is bound up in His whole life. He's not saying here that Christ should be a part of your life. He's saying that Christ is your life. A lot of times we just want to try to add Jesus into our lives, you know, like kind of bolt on extra. Okay, I've been walking around this way, so here I, gotta, I need something new, so I'm going to bolt Jesus onto my life somehow, you know. It's just going to attach Him to me. No, 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 no. We get it all wrong. It's not that. It's He is our life. Our life becomes centered around Him rather than centered on our, our careers or, or on our families or, or, or on our hobbies. We can center life on all kinds of things, right? This is where I find my life. Paul says, no, no, where you find your life is in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, this isn't really a law that Paul's trying to create here and just say, hey, look, you know, this is what you have to do, wagging his finger at us. It's more like he gives gentle nudges, gentle reminders. Hey, guys, you want life. And remember, you have the source with you, Jesus. Don't forget. Don't go spinning around in circles. Come close to him. This is where you will find your life. It's not popular in our culture to think this way. We just want bits and pieces of Jesus. Grace, mercy, yeah, I'll take that, yeah, I'll take that. Fellowship and community, yeah, I like that as well. But, hey guys, here's how you should live your, live your life. Put away sexual immorality. Put away, you know, lust. Put away greed. Put away these. No, wait a minute, hang on. This is the way you should spend your time. This is the way you should... See, Jesus has a lot to say about how you spend your time and your money. If he's just part of your life, well, I can accept the good things and then reject the... Well, That's not worshiping Jesus. That's worshiping some other God of your creation. But it's not worshiping worshiping Him. So Paul's calling us to take Jesus, not as part, but to receive Him in all the fullness, all that He is for us. Now, I know for me, it's it's really easy. I I can get so focused on other things. I mean... And I can think this way, you know, look, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad, I'm a father, so I, I'm a husband, so I could think, you know, hey, my, my kids aren't doing so great, or, you know, I'm, I'm not doing so hot at work, you know, things aren't going well with my job, uh, you know, my marriage is kind of on the rocks, or difficulty there. I can start thinking those ways and think, well, you know what, if God, if He doesn't kind of fix things in my timing and in my kind of, you know, time frame and when I want it done and the way that I want it done, then, hey, I'm not really going to believe, you know, I'm not going to receive all, you know, from Him. He, he has to act on my time frame. Maybe for your moms and, and you, you ladies, it could be something else. He's, the kids, you know, they're rebellious, and so it makes you feel like you don't, you're not making it as a mom. You're not making it as a mother. You're not making it as an employee. Whatever it is, you can begin to think about that and think, well, hey, uh, I'll, I'll only obey him when he does the things that I want him to do and he does them my way or maybe you're a student and you're just thinking well you know my grades aren't going so great i'm not i'm not really in the social structure that i want to be i'm not in the social crowd that i want to be but when my life kind of when god starts doing the things that i want him to do when i want him to do it then then i'll believe his word then i'll do the things that he says to do no no that's not how we approach god we approach him with admiration and, and wow this is what you've done for me you deserve all of my life And I want to have all of yours. I don't want just bits and pieces because you don't want just bits and pieces from me. It's not about trying harder, but it's actually in reflecting on the finished work of what Christ has done for us. That's where we find our life. It's in Him. We don't have to go looking for life. It's there. He's there in Jesus. 
James, the brother, uh, half-brother of Jesus, said this. He, he asked this question, well, what is your life? And I think we can answer the question, what, with who? Who is your life? With Jesus. He's your life. He's the essence of all that you are. So if your life is in Christ, Paul says, then, then you have to put to death those things that are earthy. Now, that sounds kind of you know, puzzling, maybe. You're listening to that, and you're going, I put to death? What does that mean? How do I do that? Basically, Paul is saying this. Look, you've got a whole new self. You've got a whole new self. It's found in Christ. But you actually have an old self as well. It's like this kind of corpse that you carry around in your life. It's like part of, part of who you are. Your, your spirit is being born again or has been born again. It's been completely made new. This is where people get a little frustrated with, the, with Christianity. They go, okay, if, my, if I'm a new creation in Christ, then why is it that I keep doing the same things that I've always done? You ever have that frustration? then how can I keep going back and doing the same things again? Well, because your spirit is renewed. You are made new again. But your mind is becoming new. It's still in process. This physical body and the things that you long for, and create, that's in process. It's, it's not made new yet. And so there's this work of the Spirit of God that comes in, makes us a totally new creation, and yet... There are things about our life that's like, whoa, things aren't quite there yet, right? It's why you can get up in the morning and you're singing God's praises and then you get in your car and you start driving to work and you're starting to curse at the other drivers, right? Because you, you, your spirit's changed, but your mind is still thinking the same, the same ways that it always has. It's like, a, it's like on my grandfather's farm. I, I grew up um, in Springfield. My mom and dad, uh, rather my mom, her family lived in a little town called Gainesville, Missouri. And that's out in the boonies. I mean, it's no, you know, nobody knows where it is. And even smaller than that, honestly, they're about seven miles from Gainesville. They lived in a little town called um, Tecumseh. Well, no, actually, they go a little further. They lived in a neighborhood called Sandy Ridge. Okay? My grandfather taught school at the Sandy Ridge one-room schoolhouse. My mom went to school there. I mean, we're talking, I'm a back hills, backwoods kind of person. I mean, when it comes to you start looking at my back history, you go, wow, that guy, you know, you'll start hearing banjos pretty soon. And so... <laughs> Driving down from the county road down to my grandparents' house, this road had been washed out over and over and over again. And it was like you could turn into the driveway, basically let go of the steering wheel, and your car is going to make it safely to the house. Because the ruts are so deep, you're not, you might kind of bump back and forth a little bit, right? But you're going to make it there safe and sound because, I mean, it's going to take some force to get you out of those ruts. Well, our minds are like this. Years of living for ourselves and not living for Christ have created ruts in our minds. And it's so easy for us to actually just get our car and of our thoughts heading down those pathways. And it takes some real energy and effort to pull those out, doesn't it? See, we, we understand that. We understand that, that our spirit has been made brand new in Christ, but our minds are being renewed. It's not about trying to correct our behavior so much as it's actually it's letting coming to Christ and letting Him transform our minds. He's supreme. So we have to set our minds on Him, recalibrating our minds on Him, on what He has done for us. So our minds and sometimes our bodies, they want to go in other directions, but it's like we have to submit our lives to what Christ has done for us. So there's parts of our lives, yeah, that we have to put to death. There are pathways of going in our mind that we have to cut those off because they're not part of our new self. They're part of our old self. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. I love Paul writes that to the Corinthian church. He says, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Therefore, we put to death the things that are earthly in us. And he writes some things down. He says, hey, sexual immorality, that's something you need to put to death. Impurity, passion, covetousness. Let's look at that word passion just for a second. Passion, you might think it's a a, a longing for wrong things. But actually, the word is not like that. The word passion here, it has more to do with overwanting even good things. You know, you you can actually lust for and long for even good things rather than longing for Christ and loving Him. I mean, it could be that way with your career. I mean, guys, are a lot of times we get into our careers, we get into our jobs, and it's like we long to be so successful there that it's just like we lust for that, we long for that, we have passion for that. It's a good thing, right? Good career, work hard, do well, take care of your family. Those are good things. But it becomes this all-consuming desire that I have to have this above everything else. Maybe it's hobbies. I've got a good friend who's a pilot, and he, he was uh, on this hobby trek of, uh, had several of them actually, but one of them was he wanted to build this airplane. And so it's, a, it's like aluminum airplane. It's a full-size deal. It's full scale. He's going to be able to fly this sucker, okay? And I was amazed that he even attempted this. But he, he takes it down in his basement, and basically it becomes what he calls his aluminum idol. Because anytime there's stress between him and his wife, what does he do? He goes to the basement, and he starts working on his thing, because that's where he finds release. That's where he finds life. The, the kids are disobedient and being a real pain in the neck. What does he do? He goes down in the basement. He works on his aluminum idol. Things at work get tough. And so what do you do? He goes to the basement. He works on his airplane. See, he just keeps going back there, back there, back there. Why? Because for him, this is not just an airplane. It's freedom. For him, it's life. So he has to repent. He, he's, he's still building an airport, but he's doing it a very, very different, different way now. He realizes his life is in Christ. The airplane's a good thing, but it became an ultimate thing. He substituted the image of God, life, for the image of an airplane that represented something of freedom, but it wasn't freedom, genuinely. Make sense? Our freedom is found in Christ. For those of you, uh, uh, maybe it's, it's with your kids, some of, you, some of you moms, it's like you've wrapped your whole life into the, your children. And it's so easy to do because kids are great, right? I mean, they're a gift from God. I didn't hear a lot of amens about that one. But they're great because they're, they're a gift from God. And we can actually wrap our lives around trying to you know, serve our kids, take care of our kids, make sure they're involved in every activity, make sure they have every little thing taken care of in their lives. And actually, they become like idols to us. We get our life from, our life from them rather than from Christ. We make Christ secondary. We take these good things and we make them primary now jesus uh, or rather paul as he writes this he says look on account of these things these passions these covetous desires this these other he's like hey this is why the wrath of god is coming it's because you have taken and made jesus who's to be primary and ultimate and you've made him secondary you've made something else to be ultimate in your life and it's interesting how we return to that Proverbs uh, chapter, um, chapter 26, verse 11, it has this interesting phrase. It says, like a dog returns to its vomit, so an unrighteous man returns to his sin. I find myself like that sometimes. It's not because it's like I'm a drug addict and I keep getting back into the drug culture. It's that I'm, I'm a worshiper of idols and I find that I can make an idol out of just about any good thing that God has given me as a gift. I can turn it into a God real quickly. So for me as a pastor, it can be church success that I want this church to grow and have influence in, in this area. That can be an idol that I can serve and, 
and, you know, kind of caress and make it to be life for me. But see, that's making something that's secondary into something that's primary. Jesus is my primary. It can be preaching good messages, honestly. Where I can come up here and I, and I want to impress you that I'm a smart guy, I'm, I'm communicating well, and I'm making a good connection. That can become idolatrous because it's like, well, that's all you're here for. That's where I find my identity. And it's like, no, 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 I've got to be serving Jesus. So even a good thing like that can be twisted and turned quickly. Maybe for you, maybe it is the career, maybe it is the family, maybe it's these relationships that you have formed, and it's like that's where you find your life. And for you to go back to those things is like a dog returning to its vomit. It's not about bad things. It's about good things that you've made into ultimate things when they're not made to be that way. Now, the thing that's interesting about this, it says we have to put off our old self and its practices, the old you, the old sin-dominated you, and its practices, its bad behaviors, its, its habits. You have to actually put those things to death. You have to kill them. We have this uh, innate ability to kind of uh, create our own sense of righteousness. Basically, parts of our lives can be like totally flaking out. And yet we've got one or two things that we hold on to say, as long as this is good, then, then actually I'm good with God. As long as my family, you know, my kids, I'm teaching them, you know, good Bible stories and I'm praying for them at nighttime, then, you know, hey, it's all good. Even though my marriage is a shambles and I'm involved in a bad relationship or I'm doing these other things. It's like we can soon justify and just say, well, as long as this is in place, then my life is okay. Right? We are masters at taking things that our heart desires, letting our will choose the pathway for those, and then justifying with our minds why we just did what we just did. Right? We're masters at it. Our heart longs for things, and we go for them. And then the will chooses, says, yeah, I'll go for that. And then it's like my, my mind just begins to justify. Oh, yeah, here's, here's why I did what I did. We can make ourselves out to, to have really quite a, a righteous system, a religious system of making our life turn out well. So back to things like career, back to things like family, back to things like hobby. We can take those things and make them ultimate. We can justify them, though, because it's like, well, you know, uh, I need to really invest in my career because I've got to take care of my family. A guy's got to take care of his family, right? I mean, he's got to provide for them, you know, food, clothing, shelter, insurance, uh, beach house, vacations in the Caribbean. I mean, a guy's got to be able to do all these things, right? See, what the, what the heart is longing for, the sense of significance then the will is choosing. I can find my significance through my work. And then my mind justifies it. Ah, yeah, so it's good for a guy to provide for his family. See how seditious that is. It just kind of weaves its way in. Or a hobby. You can think, man, I just need a break. Life is stressful. i got to have this hobby. And then it runs into money, and your wife is upset with you because you spent a boatload of money on this hobby. You know, and you're justifying the expenditure because, well, hey, I just need some way to relax and kick back and find refreshment. And so what you've just done is your heart has desired something and your will has chosen it. And now your mind is justifying. See, well, I'm supposed to take Sabbath rest, right? I'm supposed to get rest. That's why I'm doing this. It's so that I'll have a good well-being, right? And you're destroying things with your idolatry. Maybe it's with your relationships. You think, I've got to take care of my kids. I, 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 really, I have a heart for a single mom. My mom was a single mom. I understand how that is. And, and it's easy to invest yourself into your kids and to think, man, I've got my, this man. He, he, you know, he's betrayed me. He's 
messed up in my life. And now the only thing I can hold on to are these kids. And, and you want to provide for them. And you want to do so many great things for them. And it's so easy to just let that kind of begin to rule your life. Your, your heart is longing for some kind of security. And so you, you put your security in your kids. And then so, you're, so you choose to do that. You choose to try to send them to better schools, to take care of them in better ways, maybe fudge a little there, fudge a little here. And then it's like you justify it. Well, other people betrayed me, so I've got to take care of my family. I understand that. But you've made something else second, that's supposed to be secondary. You've made it primary. How do we, how do we know these kinds of things? How do we know when we're heading down this way? Let me just give a couple of things here. Anger. When do you get angry? I typically get angry when uh, my comforts are taken away from me. I'm a big baby. I know that. Um, when, when I get angry because I feel like, uh, you know, there's, there's stuff in my life that I can't control. And I like to have a little bit of control and I like to have my comforts. So what does that look like for me? It's like, well, if there's conflict then here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to avoid the conflict. In fact, I'm going to get angry because there's conflict now in my life, and I don't deserve that because I'm a pretty nice guy, right? And so my anger comes out because something is being taken away from me that I hold in very high value in my life. What about you? Where do you get angry? Is it because the career is not going the way you want for it to go? Is it because there's pain in your life that you didn't want to be there? What makes you angry? What makes you feel sad or depressed? Usually we feel sad or depressed when we begin to realize that what we have put our hopes into is now fading. So maybe for, for you it's like, man, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I really thought that my life would be in a different trajectory than it is right now. And you get depressed. Well, why are you depressed? Because you, what you saw might happen is now fading and you see there's no way it's going to happen. And you put your stock, you put your hope in that thing. And now it's fading away. And so now you're getting depressed. You're getting sad. What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of? Usually we're afraid of things because we're afraid that whatever we, what little bit good we thought we had, we're losing it. It's being stripped away from us. It's being taken away from us. And so we become fearful. So we have to realize, well, what are we trying to protect? Our comfort, our satisfaction, our our sense of identity that's wrapped up in our job or in our family or those things. Paul says, look, set your mind on things above. Set your mind in heaven where Christ is. Why? Because He's your life. Not these tin idols, not these aluminum idols that we can so easily create for ourselves through relationships, through careers, whatever it is. See, Paul's not interested in just teaching us little moral lessons, you know, or we can't walk away with this thing, hey, this is just a little moral lesson, do better, do hard, try harder here. We actually have to realize that this, your whole identity when you came to Christ was changed. You may think, yeah, 20 years ago when I, when I got saved, it was just this little thing. No, 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 it wasn't a little thing. You went from being, <laughs> you went from being a pig to being an eagle. That's how big the change was that took place in you. A pig, you say, hey, pig, fly. What's a pig going to do? You know, I mean, he's just going to snort at you, look at you like, right, I can't do that. And so these, these things that Paul writes down, he says, hey, put these things away. We can be like that. We can, if we have an, a pig identity, it's like, I can't fly. I'm just, you just get frustrated because you just tell me to do things that there's no way on earth I'm going to do. But what Jesus has done is he's made you a whole new creation. 
He's given you wings. He's given you an identity as an eagle. Now, sometimes we wallow in the mud still. But we have been given an identity that's totally new. You tell an eagle to fly, and guess what it's going to be able to do? It's going to be able to fly. With you and I, we've been given a totally new identity. To live a righteous life, to, to set our hope in heaven, to set our hope in Jesus, is not impossible to do. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. 